If you'll turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 10. I'll be reading there in this passage, verses 11 through 18. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hiring fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And may the Lord bless this reading of his holy word to our hearts. I've titled this sermon tonight, The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. Last Lord's Day morning, a week ago, we talked about under-shepherds and sheep. And of course, we concluded with our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in the words of Christ, we see that he calls himself the good shepherd. And so therefore, it's important for us to understand how congregations need under-shepherds that abide by the biblical qualifications. We spoke about that last week. But of course, there's nothing more important than when it comes to sheep appointing them to their good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang tonight, the Lord is my shepherd. And I trust that is a truth for you that the Lord Jesus Christ is your shepherd. And so I'd like to do two simple things tonight from the passage that we're looking at. We're going to be focusing on some key verses, uh, not the entire passage, but here's what I'd like to do from the outset. Let me give it to you. First of all, we'll look at the Good Shepherd, who he is, what he does, and then secondly, the hireling, who he is, what he does, and then we'll see a contrast between the hireling and wolves. Then we'll close out with a very uh, applicable passage of Scripture as well. So first of all this evening, I'd like for us to look at the Good Shepherd. Here in John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I think it's important for us to think in terms of the Old Testament scriptures and bring it forward to what Christ is saying right here. 
If you wanted to give an overall theme for the book of John, it would be the theme of presenting Jesus as the Son of God. And each gospel has a theme about Christ, but this one in particular would speak of Jesus as God. And that's very important. In the Old Testament scriptures, in Exodus chapter 3, we had there a momentous event where there was a bush that was burning that was not consumed. And there was a voice speaking from that bush to Moses. And of course, you remember Moses, he was tending sheep. And in doing so, this conversation was going on. God was calling him to lead another group of sheep, the children of Israel. Now, of course, some of them were uh, not believers. There's always a mixed multitude throughout, even Old and New Testament, even now in the church of Jesus Christ, those who truly know him and those who don't. But nonetheless, he was being called. And what was he doing? He was making excuses, wasn't he, about why he couldn't do this. And he even spoke about his mouth. He couldn't speak well. So, so well, you have your brother Aaron, he can speak well, but I had something pointed out to me that uh, scripturally, scripture in light of scripture, that may, it really was a, a kind of a light bulb moment. Do you remember what Stephen said about Moses, a man mighty in the scriptures, mighty in word? And uh, I remember one of my professors saying, Moses had the ability to bring forth the word of God. So was it an excuse then about his mouth and, you know, the other things that he was saying about, he was just uh, making excuses is what it came down to. But God was calling him, God would equip him. Well, he asked this question, well, who am I going to say is, is sending me? Who is it that's sending me to you? And remember Exodus 3, I am that I am. That's who's sending you, I am, the great I am. Well, it's interesting that seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am. And I want us to see that he meant exactly what he said when he said that he was the I am. He was the I am of the Old Testament. This is Jehovah incarnate as we spoke about this morning. So if you'll turn just for a moment, a couple of chapters to John chapter 8. I want us to see very clearly what Jesus was saying concerning his deity. So the revelation was made to Moses, who was a shepherd, being called away from sheep to shepherd people. And now here's this revelation to sinners that we see of who Christ is. We're going to begin in verse number 54. Now there's been an ongoing conversation. You've seen them before. You've read the Gospels. You know the reactions of the religious leaders. And you know the way that they came at Christ and their criticism and condemnations. So, uh, one of the things that he has told them is that, uh, yes, if you were really children of Abraham, you would listen to what I have to say. But you don't seek that because you're not really children of Abraham. You're of your father, the devil. That's what he told them. And uh, so as they go on and in their conversation, uh, he speaks to this end. So I want us to begin in verse 54 and see what Jesus said and how they knew unmistakably what he was saying. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, 
I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. So he was making that claim to be Jehovah God incarnate. Did they know what he was saying? Well, let's read the concluding verse. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. They knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming to be God, and so they were going to stone him to death for such a statement. But of course, this is true. He said, he called them out. You are liars. You're of your father, the devil. But I am God. I am the great I am. So he made this revelation to sinners. So who is he? Well, he is the good shepherd. He is God. As we spoke this morning in prophecy, he was the God man, the word made flesh. But as we look at him as the good shepherd and his revelation as God, also along with being the good shepherd, when he says that he's the good shepherd, there are two key words in the New Testament scriptures that speak of good. And the word being referred to here as Christ is described, he describes himself as the good shepherd. It has been spoken by the commentator A.W. Pink, one of my favorites, that the meaning of good in this context means preeminently excellent. That as the good shepherd, he is preeminently excellent. And so we see in his character to be God, he must be good. For one of his attributes, if you look at the attributes of God, is his goodness. So the good shepherd is good. He is God. He is God incarnate. He is preeminently excellent. And you may remember last week that when we speak of shepherding ministry and what under shepherds are to do, I gave you these four statements. They are to guide, they are to guard, they are to feed, and they are to protect or care for. So they are to guide, guard, feed, protect, and care for. And certainly as an under-shepherd, a good under-shepherd would do these things. We know our God perfectly does this in our lives because he is the good shepherd. He is the God-man who is our true shepherd. The Lord, as we've sung tonight, once again I say the Lord is our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So he is the good shepherd and then we find in verse 11 that as the good shepherd, he giveth his life for the sheep. So who he is, he is God. But he is the one who would lay down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I give my life for the sheep. In understanding what we are reading here, there's further explanation that we read earlier, and I want us again to focus on verses 17 and 18 just for a moment as we understand this truth. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay 
down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my father. He lays down his life for the sheep. One of the words that underlie the idea of life is a word that uh, we know more commonly in its form of zoo. Or sometimes girls are named Zoe. That underlying word is a Greek word and it means life or living. And uh, I remember being in Germany, I'm trying to think what city it was uh, many years ago. Frankfurt, that's where it was, Frankfurt. And we were trying to find our way to a particular location. Actually, it was our motel. And we were going by that it was near such and such zoo. Now, I'm not sure what kind of zoo it was in Germany that we were looking for. We're thinking a zoo with animals, but I don't think that was the case. That was just the name of the area. And I remember a conversation with this huge German in a convenience store who knew less English than I knew German, but he was able to point us the way that we needed to go. So uh, the idea then of zoo or zoe is the idea of life, having life. And uh, my, my wife, uh, we were in uh, literary societies. I had a discussion with Isaac about that yesterday. He was wearing one of his shirts from his college days, and we were talking about that. And uh, the, they, they had the letters representing the name. It was... It, it looked like Z-A, so Zeta Alpha, which stood for Zoalathia, Zoe Alathia, living truth. That's what her literary, like, like a fraternity or sorority, if literary society doesn't make sense, but uh, she used to wear that. And so living truth, there it was before us as I understood that word. So that's the one aspect, Zoe, life. But then I made a brief reference this morning to another word, psychology. And obviously those are two Greek words that have been jammed together, but psych, suke, that is an underlying term, which means soul. And we know, at least I think we believe here, that as I said this morning, you can't truly understand the soul apart from a knowledge of God. That's how we truly understand it. And that's why those who call themselves psychologists don't uh, speak toward things as biblical because they don't know God and they're opposed to those things. So they seek to answer so many things through humanistic means. Well, we realize that in this passage, the Lord is speaking that he will lay down his life for us. But we also know, again, Scripture in light of Scripture, that Christ gave his literal soul for us. And I want us to show that biblically because, again, these are connections from sermon to sermon this morning till this evening from Isaiah 53, just one single verse. So let's turn just for a moment to Isaiah 53. And as I said, there was a man and probably many throughout history who have heard this passage and God used it to bring them to himself. 
One man in particular who was involved in secular psychology, he totally abandoned that and by God's grace, he came to faith because of, as a Jew, hearing the reading of Isaiah 53 and how that started him on his journey to understand the Christian faith and come to know Christ. But I want us to focus on one brief statement here that I think helps emphasize this idea of Christ giving his life for the sheep. And he says here in verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Christ has poured out his soul unto death. God willing, on Wednesday night, as we look at Christ and the burden he was bearing, when we see what we will read there in Luke's account in the Garden of Gethsemane, well, truly, these words are applicable as it is like a first-hand account, though hundreds of years before the actual event, that Jesus poured out his soul unto death. I believe we have a brother here tonight, if I remember correctly, from San Diego. And uh, there was a moment in San Diego that was uh, just in the Lord's providence so wonderful. In San Diego, there is a campus called Point Loma. And many years ago, I went to a reform campus. And the reason it was a reform conference, not a reform campus. It was a very Armenian campus, actually, if you know what I'm talking about. But it was a reform conference on this Armenian campus. And uh, Point Loma is right up against the Pacific Ocean. And about three months earlier, I had lost my father unexpectedly. And it was, there was no warning. And uh, it hit me very hard because my father and I were, were so close. But I remember, okay, I have some time. I'm going to go back and see how mom's doing. And then from there, I'll go over to Indianapolis and fly to this conference in San Diego. And if you're wondering the conference, it's Banner of Truth. I'm sure you've probably heard of their ministry and their books. And so toward the end of the week, there was a minister there from, I believe, a Dutch Reformed background. And he preached the sermon, he poured out his soul unto death. And how that touched me and just broke my heart, but also at the same time gave me such joy as I heard those words spoken. And after that service, because you had access from the campus to the ocean, I was able to leave and to walk out there and just contemplate what Christ had done for me as my good shepherd laying down his life for me, one of his sheep. So Christ truly did that. Love so amazing, love that is incomprehensible. The father loved so much that he gave his son. The son so loved that he gave his life. And I was sharing a little bit after the service today with Brother Herb as we were just speaking of the things of the Lord, how one of the things that uh, is so precious, as I've been reading this week in John's Gospel, just finished it up, in John 17, where Christ says that he longs for us, I'm paraphrasing slightly, but where he is, he longs for us to be there to behold his glory. And isn't that a wonderful thought for us who are in Christ that one day we will see our Savior? The marks will still be there, I do believe, from his crucifixion. They were there after his 
resurrection, when he showed them to his disciples, a constant reminder of him giving his life out of love for us. So he poured out his soul unto death. Now, who did he give his life for? Well, let's go back to John chapter 10 just for a moment. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I believe this speaks of, as other cross-references here in this same book of John, that it's a purposeful and definite redemption of his people, a purposeful and definite redemption of his people. But let's see it biblically. Please look down at verses 25 and 26 of the same chapter. Jesus answered them, I told you, and ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believed not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said Unto you. And he speaks of how his sheep hear his voice. They follow him. They know him. He knows them. But let's also look at one other verse where we see Christ speaking of his purposeful atonement. John chapter 17, this great intercessory prayer of Christ, where he says in verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. What a blessing to see that the Lord Jesus Christ had a purposeful atonement. As we spoke about this, we remembered that Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, he will save his people from their sins. There was a purpose in his dying. He fulfilled God's purpose. What was that phrase that we read in his cry from the cross? It is finished. What is finished is finished. What is done is done. There's nothing left for us to do. Christ did it on our behalf. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And one other quick thing before we look at the flip side, kind of the negative with the hireling, is something that should be a great comfort to us. Please look at verse 16 of John chapter 10. And this does give me joy as I think of being with our Savior. He says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. There is only one safe place ultimately in this life and in the life to come. And it's one of Paul's favorite designations, maybe his favorite, in Christ. In Christ. Do you know if you are in Christ, you are being spoken of the sheep that he has that are not of that fold? Remember initially Old Testament history, early New Testament history, the Jews that he was coming to, the king of the Jews himself. We read in John 1, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The apostle Paul, the Pharisee that he was, the great scholar that he was, 
finally said, you know, I've had enough with trying to minister to Jews. I'm going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And he was. He put aside what a lot of was bigotry, certainly in the first century, of those even, you remember Peter kind of getting caught up in that one time with the Gentiles being uh, near him and Paul goes and withstood him to the face. He got in his face, as it were, concerning how he was acting toward Gentiles. Well, the blessing is that this is telling us that there is a people from every tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation that God has chosen and is bringing to himself. And we sit here tonight as those who are not of the heritage of Abraham physically, but certainly spiritually. Have you ever heard the children's little chorus, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham? I first ever heard that was in college. I'd never heard it growing up. But I am a child of Abraham by faith. Abraham believed the gospel, Galatians tells us, the good news of Christ. Or even go to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. I mean, these are all beautiful. I don't have time to expound all this, but aren't they wonderful truths that we realize concerning our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? But we are to see ourselves, if we are in Christ, the other sheep that he has brought into the one fold, the unity of God's people, the unity of God's purpose. Well, secondly, quickly and finally, let's look at the hireling. The hireling, that's the contrast we have. Beginning in verse 12. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. Now we talked about who Jesus is and what he did. Who is the hireling? Well, let's talk kind of in terms of what he is not or who he was not. The hireling is not the shepherd. The hireling is not the owner. But the hireling is a hired hand, a hired servant paid to do what he does. So when it comes to the position of the hireling, he's a hired hand. And he fills a position. And of course, what we learn that Christ says about the hireling, he gets money for it, so he does it. He's a hireling. That's who he is. He's not the shepherd. He's not the owner. He is paid to do what he does. But what does he do? Well, when trouble comes, when the wolves come, he leaves the sheep, he flees, he runs from the sheep, and ultimately he does not care about the sheep. So we're thinking here in terms of shepherds and sheep, but Christ as the good shepherd is talking about someone who might be serving in an under-shepherd capacity, but he has no concern for the sheep. You know, there are a lot of wolves that seek to put on sheep's clothing, and it happens. And when the New Testament speaks of those who would come in and seek to cause harm and difficulty in the first century, well, certainly it's been ongoing since that time of those who would seek to come in and cause difficulty and problems. And so the hireling is being spoken of of exactly what he is. He's one that's hired, a hired hand, and he sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep, he flees, he runs. He doesn't care for the sheep, and the sheep are scattered. So it's important 
when it comes to the minister that God will lead here to this congregation, that it is a man of God, a true under-shepherd for the sheep. And I know that you all are seeking by prayer the will of God who God would lead to you. But probably some of us, at least I can speak for myself, I have seen those who were hirelings and I have seen churches decimated because of what men have come and done contrary to what Christ has told us. Maybe you've had an experience like that. I trust that you haven't. But so many churches have been hindered by those who did not care for the sheep, did not love the sheep. And so may God help us to, uh, as a minister myself, not pastoring, but to love the sheep and to have a shepherd that loves the sheep. The final thing about who he is and what he does is this comparison now between the hireling and the wolf. The hireling and the wolf. And it says here, the hireling will flee when the wolves come because he is a hireling and he doesn't care for the sheep. The hireling sees the wolf coming and he leaves. The wolf catches the sheep, sometimes destroys the sheep or at least scatters the sheep. I want to talk about this from the standpoint of, first of all, the animal world. And of course, I've already tried to explain it from a spiritual standpoint, which I think we understand. A few years ago, I was driving uh, a new vehicle, pretty good sized vehicle. And I have actually lost track over the years since 2017 of how many times I've been from the East Coast to the West and from the West Coast to the East. Uh, it's been numerous times. And so on one occasion, I was East Coast, having to come West Coast, and I was in uh, the northern parts of the United States, up states closer to Canada. And in the section I was driving in Wyoming, I was seeing signs for Yellowstone National Park. And uh, I have, again, friends here that I've talked to of concerning Yellowstone, a beautiful place that I've been to several times. Well, you normally go to Yellowstone probably in a minivan like I have now or, you know, the family camper or whatever and, you know, see things, whatever. But you don't go in a bucket truck, a brand new bucket truck. But I thought as Christ, you remember, he must needs go through Samaria when he saw the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. I knew that I must needs, being that close, I'm going to make a detour, you know, a left at Albuquerque almost or somewhere close there. I'm going to go just, uh, I don't know if you remember that saying, take a left at Albuquerque. I took a left out of wherever I was to Yellowstone. And I just drove my big bucket truck through and went to West Yellowstone and stayed. It's just a beautiful place to see, you know, being that close and, you know, I'm being paid to drive, so I'm going to go that direction. It didn't really change much of my trip. But... One of the blessings that I saw for the first time as I was coming near the end of the park was a wolf pack that had been reintroduced. I'd never seen wolves in the wild. And they were running, and there was a number of them, various colors. And it was kind of a, you know, I pulled the truck over at that point and just watched, and they were a distance as the wolves were, were moving uh, through that area. It's a pretty awesome sight. But you probably know something about the nature of wolves. Because also, before that time, when I was a seventh grader, my science teacher took us on a trip to a wolf park in the state of Indiana. And I remember when they brought the meat out and they threw it in the pen, the way the wolves acted. 
the nature of a wolf, devouring that. Well, we don't have wolves where I live. I don't know if you have wolves in this area. Maybe you do. But I do know that you have coyotes, because I believe we heard them the other night when we were out at Lake Pleasant. We certainly heard burrows. Didn't get to see a burrow, but we heard the burrows. But there were coyotes. Do you know even where I live on Turkey Ridge Road in Pennsylvania, we got coyotes. And a lot of times you hear them, hear them carrying on at night. Well, coyotes, as well as wolves, are a problem for sheep. And growing up in Indiana, country boy, farm boy that I was to an extent, not where we live, but those accesses that we had to things and livestock, we had a friend. His name was Raymond Chu, C-H-E-W, Raymond Chu. My cousin and uncle worked for him on his farm, and he was a farmer of sheep. And they used to hunt in the woods that he owned, and every year my dad would go before hunting season, squirrel season, and he would make sure with Raymond that we could hunt. He always gave us permission. And uh, sometimes, you know, there were a lot of sheep grazing around there. I remember one year he had a mean ram that was in that herd. And Dad and I stayed close to the gate because we knew if he came at us, it was not going to be a good situation. So I have seen sheep kind of from a distance, not the interaction I've had with other animals. But here's where I'm going with this. Raymond... And his family had sheep, and they sought everything they could do to protect them. But they were having a problem with coyotes literally coming into the pen and snatching lambs out and taking them and, of course, devouring them. So if you have sheep and you have coyotes, you have a problem. So a call came in from one of the neighbors and said, there is a pack of six coyotes near your property. Raymond told his son, and we don't get tons of snow, but it was in the wintertime and snow was on the ground. Grabbed his rifle, jumped on the snowmobile, and killed six coyotes because those were enemies to the sheep. So you kind of get an idea of what a shepherd feels towards sheep and the protection and the care and the concern. Now, that's what an under-shepherd is to be of care and concern and protection and guarding and feeding. But that's nothing compared to what our good shepherd is for us as he laid down his life for the sheep. And so, God is calling faithful under-shepherds, and I'm certainly preaching to myself when I say these words. God is calling faithful under-shepherds to minister to sheep. And in the Free Presbyterian Church or the Bible Presbyterian Church, churches of like precious faith, we need men who will be faithful under-shepherds to the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, our shepherd. In conclusion, please turn to Hebrews chapter 13 because this is absolutely fitting as far as the scriptural conclusion to what we've talked about so far. I remember a professor of mine used to talk about Paul's anonymous letter to the Hebrews. And uh, I, uh, that, that very well could be. He might be the author. His name's not on it, but uh, it sounds sort of like Paul. I don't know. God-inspired word. But nonetheless, the words that we're going to read, I think, are a fitting conclusion to what we have studied tonight. Scripture in light of Scripture Hebrews 13, the last chapter, verses 20 and 21. Now the God of peace, 
Now that's a very familiar term, this Lord's Day. The God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank you for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. O oh, Father, seal these words to our hearts. Father, we thank you so much for giving us our good and great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that one day our chief shepherd shall appear. And Father, we pray for the ministry in local churches. Lord, that you would have those who serve that love the sheep, but most of all love Christ with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, we do continue to pray for this congregation that you would bless them and use them. Father, it's a blessing to know too that we who support missions and send out missionaries, they too are taking the good news of Christ to the ends of the world. And Lord, your people are being drawn to yourself. So Father, we pray that we would be drawn closer, that we would love you ourselves with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. We pray again your blessing by your spirit upon your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.